0: Welcome to The Institute, a podcast on the lives and work of fellows and friends of the Institute for the Arts and Humanities at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. I'm Philip Hollingsworth. In this episode, we go back to previous conversations on leadership. Faculty we spoke to are all fellows of the IEH's Academic Leadership Program, or ALP. Applications for ALP for the 2018-2019 academic year are due Tuesday, October 31st. For more information, please visit our website at ieh.unc.edu. We start off this episode with Peter Muka, professor of mathematics and director of IEH's Chairs Leadership Program. In this clip, Dr. Muka speaks on the essential attributes of leadership.
1: This might come off cliché because I know it's a really common word that comes up, but I'm a big believer in resiliency. The nature of these kinds of leadership roles include that you hopefully have an eye on and a strategy for addressing some long-term priorities and activities, but you risk being buffeted on an almost daily basis or hourly basis or minutely basis (laughs) (laughs) by whatever the challenge of the moment is. Uh, Like I said, it's just my go-to joke. Halftime job, 30 seconds of every minute. Because if you just react to whatever is immediately in front of you, it will eat all your time and all your energy and the goals and the Priorities that you might have set out for your limited time in whatever the role is aren't going to get done if you're just being kicked around by the latest crashing wave.
2: How do you develop resiliency?
1: I think that for me, you know, maybe maybe that was why the word resiliency was a little cliche is that it can mean a lot of different things to whoever's saying it. I mean, for me, resiliency is the ability to sort of skip that wave when you need to and ride it when it's appropriate or, or best for you. It's resiliency to me is about having an eye on a longer term perspective of why are you doing this and what are you doing it for so in some sense, resiliency is also a recognition that these leadership roles are all limited in time and in scope. You're not going to do them forever. And, and I think before when I was telling some of the stories of, of my two different chair roles, in the, in the one case I stepped out of being chair of the one department for the other department because there was a need For the college and also it, to me, seemed like an appropriate opportunity for me to use my skills in a a way that could meaningfully serve the greater organization. When I chose to step out of that role, it was as much as anything, it was out of a recognition that I probably wasn't the best person to be doing that for much longer than I had already done it. I had helped set things up. I had run a strategic pro- planning process. I had gotten us through sort of the immediate launch, and the next challenges were going to be best met by someone with a different skill set than one I had. And so that's 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 perhaps paradoxically I think that that's part of, Resiliency is is knowing when is the right time to hand the baton off to someone else.
0: Next, John McGowan, distinguished professor of English and Comparative Literature, speaks with communication specialist Melissa Clay on the specific challenges of leadership for academics.
2: academic leadership mm-hmm. program yourself, yeah. and, and then you directed the IAH. Can you speak on any lessons that you learned in the program oh, that you then yeah. applied, yeah. And lo- lessons learned?
3: And- well, you know, as a CCL experience, which then is, so that's the Center for Creative Leadership, mm-hmm. all of our academic fellows go for a week to their program at the CCL. It's very much a people-oriented program. It's a human capital program. And what it teaches you, I think more than anything else, is to understand your own strengths and weaknesses. There's a very intensive 360 evaluation of who you are, what your style is, Mm -hmm. what kind of things make you uncomfortable, what kind of things are easy for you to do. But it also makes you incredibly aware that that's true of everybody you work with. Mm -hmm. Everyone you work with has things they're good at, things they're not good at. And what they stress is, You're not going to change people, but what you need to do is put people in the circumstances where they can succeed because you're calling on their talents and their strengths. And, you know, the weird thing about being an academic leader, there you are. I was 53 years old. Academics are lone wolves. I'd never had a staff. Mm -hmm. I'd never had to manage a budget. I'd never had to manage a schedule for a building and for a fairly complicated enterprise. So it just taught me the basic thing about a staff and how to organize a staff so you get the work done you need to done at the same time where you give people a chance to succeed and to feel satisfied with the work they're doing.
0: In our next clip, Associate Professor of Women's and Gender Studies, Tanya Shields, talks with me about how leadership starts with learning about oneself. Could you talk a little bit about, your? right now you're in the uh, academic leadership program. Can you talk a little bit about your experience with that?
4: I think that has been a tremendous opportunity for me, and I didn't even know how tremendous it would be when I signed up for it. Part of what I've I've learned and appreciated about the program is actually what I've learned about myself. And that might sound very self-involved, and in part it is. <laughs> but I, I didn't... You know, you grow and you change, and I think sometimes you have a vision of yourself stuck in your mind that you, th- you still think I'm operating off Tanya at 33 or something like that. Yeah. And Tanya ain't 33. <laughs> but, um, so it, it's nice to have a process by which you get to check in With yourself to understand who you are today, and and a big part of what we did at the Center for Creative Leadership in Greensboro was about that. Part of what we do in the weekly meetings is about that. But beyond sort of who am I as a human being is how would I react in these very um, challenging times in higher ed, and and I get to puzzle out that for myself. I get to critique, I think, when and where I would do something. And and what has surprised me, I think, is when you think about the organism as a whole, when you think about the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill, some of the decisions that I would make as a faculty member radically change if I think of myself as part of the administration. Mm-hmm. I think you have to yeah. be so much more protective and careful of the institution. And I think a challenge for me is how do you do that and still maintain your own ethics and integrity? And how do you do that in a way through which you can communicate with both the constituencies on this campus and those off this campus where you you make the argument for whatever decision it is you make. You you communicate the why. And yeah. and I'm finding that that, figuring out that for myself, understanding that is, is hard, is hard. But I, I am committed and interested in, in figuring out how do you communicate your image, your vision, whatever it is you have, your mission. But how do you communicate the why? Because I think the why is what gets people on board. And yeah. unfortunately... We at this university seem—it it seems that that some of our ties with the broader state and the rest of North Carolina, understanding the why of what we do here, has been lost. And so, I'm I'm really interested in how how can we repair that, and how can we build on that.
0: Agent Studies Professor Morgan Patelka will take part in the weekly seminars of the Academic Leadership Program this spring. In a conversation recorded in April, Dr. Patelka touches on the perceived gap between faculty and senior administration at universities.
5: Well, I've been, I've had the chance to be in some leadership positions before. Uh, I used to teach at Occidental College in Los Angeles, which is a small liberal arts college. And I was involved in faculty governance there. I was on the faculty council. Um, I was the chair of my department for a couple of years before I moved to UNC. And then here at the university, I'm director of the Carolina Asia Center, which is the Asia Institute for the university. Um, And I love the work that I get to do. One One of the aspects of academia that has always really struck me is that there often is a a perceived or real gap between the faculty and full-time administrators. And because I'm a part-time administrator, mm-hmm. I feel a little bit like I bridge that gap. And I see the hard work and good intentions of full-time administrators, and I see the passion and the devotion uh, and the brilliance of my faculty colleagues. And sometimes I'm very puzzled by the hostility that occasionally emerges between the two groups. So I'm interested if I, in the future, take opportunities to be a full-time administrator in cracking that nut. I I would really like there to be better communication between the sort of senior leadership of the university and the faculty who are in the trenches doing this incredible work in classrooms. Um, I think sometimes from the outside administrative decisions seem to be out of step with the values that the faculty hold dear. And I don't think they are. I think there are often other factors that are not well communicated. So I'm, I'm, I guess I'm interested in the role of communication in leadership. How do we tell the story, not just of who we want to be, but what the barriers are to getting there, And why we can't always succeed in our aspirations, that's something that universities don't always do very well. Because we want to have a good public image, we want to look like we're the best at this and the best at that. Um, But especially for that kind of semi-internal audience of the faculty, I think a little more clarity and transparency about constraints is helpful. So that's one of the things I'm interested in, in leadership.
2: Are there any leaders that you aspire to, uh, their attributes, or um, that inspire you?
5: I mean, I'm very lucky to have worked with so many people who are great leaders. I mean, just in my department, when I moved here to UNC, the chair of my department, Jan Bardsley, was incredibly inspiring. She is an incredible teacher, first of all. She, She once came and gave a guest lecture in a class I was teaching that was huge. It had more than 100 students in it and she went around before her lecture and met all these students and learned their names and then throughout the lecture called out to those students and I had never done this and I'd given dozens of lectures (laughs) and I was so impressed but also kind of embarrassed I mean it just was such a, a virtuoso show of how to be a good teacher but she also was this amazing administrator and has has published a bunch since then as well so she's a model for me in many ways um, my current chair, Nadia Yakub, is also a quiet leader who listens and brings the community together in non-showy, personal ways that I just think are very effective. So I'm I'm always trying to learn from the people who I'm lucky to work with.
0: To close our episode, we hear from Terry Rhodes, Senior Associate Dean for Fine Arts and Humanities, on how being a musician has informed her leadership.
6: Now I'm serving with Dean Guskowitz on his leadership team to work with departments in fine arts and humanities and also institutes and centers that fall under the fine arts and humanities label. And it's really interesting because my work as a leader in the arts and humanities really flows from my having been an artist. And by that Mm. I mean... As a singer, from the very beginning, I was collaborating. I was collaborating yes. with, a, with a pianist, with a chamber group, with uh, a cast to put on a musical or to put on an opera. And I really think that is so key to being a good leader, is to really be able to work with people well, collaborate with them, and also the other aspect is to be a good listener. And that, and that as a singer, as a musician, That's from the very beginning a quality that is a necessity to listen carefully and really take it in and think of how you're responding to it. So that's something that's kind of been in my DNA all along and I do think those qualities have helped me in terms of my work as chair of the music department and now as senior associate dean. And then my third time as a fellow here was in the academic leadership program and that too was just and then they all gave all had different resources and different rationale for being and they all helped me in very different ways but in very important ways. So as I said earlier, you can see why I feel I owe such a debt of gratitude to the institute and am so honored to be someone who whose role it is to advocate for this place and these people and this very important resource on our campus.
2: What would you say is the most important leadership lesson that you've learned, especially as an artist, through either being a leader or through leadership training you've received from the IH or elsewhere?
6: Hmm, I don't know about the most important because there are a number. One I keep coming back to is really, when it goes back to the listening aspect, I'm really trying to keep others' perspectives in my mind as I make decisions. And I'm, you know, <laughs> some of my <laughs> colleagues may scoff at that. And they're, Does she really? I mean, I try. <laughs> I really try for a sense of fairness and just to really educate myself and to think about, well, what's the other way of looking at this question? And, there are, you know, I, I realize that I don't have all the answers and that that I'm wrong sometimes and can be Move to a different point of view and a way of thinking that makes more sense. And I also, so I've learned a lot from listening to my colleagues and, and to thinking about others' perspectives. That may be the one of the most important things. Something else may come into my mind, but yeah.
2: No, that's that's wonderful. A a lot of times people think of leaders as being out in front, but every time I ask a leader about the lessons or things Mm -hmm. that they want to improve or things that they think about. It's always more in line with service. than. Well, I
6: have really thought of myself in that servant leadership model. To me, that just makes more sense. I'll tell you, when I first joined this faculty, I had never had the intent of necessarily, you know, working in these realms of chairship and deanship. And it became clearer to me through programs like what I was mentioning here at the IAH of the Of the abilities that I had and could use together with partners. That's the key. I have always in these roles had great partners and champions and we work on issues together and that has been that's the other key piece that you don't do it alone. You figure out those with whom you can work and really doesn't mean you're all you know lockstep together it's you're still but just you figure out that group of people whom you can really Work with to move an idea forward and to progress things.
0: Check back at iah.unc.edu for the latest news on our fellows and upcoming events at Hyde Hall. You can find all our episodes of the podcast on our website as well as iTunes, SoundCloud, and Stitcher. Please like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at IEH underscore UNC.